Thank you for listening to another episode of Books That Make Us Better. My name is Kayla Joe. My name is Megan. I'm Lydia. And I'm Jesse. And we are all back. We are all here for this week and this week only. Coming at you with another episode of Books That Make Us Better. We have three vacations down. We have one to go. Uh, Jesse, where are you going? We are going to the Bahamas. What? I'm going to get in your suitcase. Please do. You're going to take a really big one, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm a Delta Sky Miles member, so my first bag's free. Get on it. Hey. I'll be in there. (laughs) Just keep that the only thing Delta on this trip. You got it? (laughs) Yes. Womp, womp. Yes, yes. That was a COVID joke for anyone that didn't get it. But COVID is not a joke. Joke. We're that far in. <laughs> or that. Oh, we've made it to that point. Um, yes. <laughs> so uh, we have eight more chapters. Well, for this episode. And then I believe next episode we're finishing the book. I would say so. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy that it's gone this fast. And then the next book we're doing is, who wants to say it? The Gifts of Imperfection. Oh my gosh. Not everybody all at one time. (laughs) It was a creepy echo there. Um, Do it again. (laughs) Yeah, I honestly tossed it out there because the title was evading me for a second. So I'm like, oh no, somebody else take it. I don't know if I should let people in on the insider information, but if you like hard copies, Target has 30% off the hardcover version of Gifts of Imperfection. Oh, how timely. Also not sponsored by Target, but feel <laughs> but- free to sponsor us, Target. Yeah, but we could be if you're listening. We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An Alpha Media Podcast. All right. Well, let's hop to it. Let's dig in. This week, we are starting with the chapter Lies. Megan, take it away. Okay. So this is short and sweet. It's two paragraphs long. Uh, um, Essentially... Um, that's how I start every single one. Essentially, it is Glennon is talking with her friend and she, I don't know, is rounding out the end of a story and says, you know, then I left my family. And her friend was like, no, you didn't leave your family and you didn't even leave your marriage. Uh, you didn't even leave your husband. You just left your marriage, um, which was the best thing for you. And like, just be careful about how you tell your stories. Sort and sweet and to the point, the point being, be careful about how you tell your stories because self-deprecation, I think, and I think this is a point she's getting to, it only harms, I mean, you and everybody else. And then like how many times do you tell that story and you start to believe it? So, you know, I think uh, the point of this was to just careful how you use your words, which I don't know, that could be a daily mantra for me. <laughs> I don't even feel like this one is like a conversation. Like, I think this is, we have nothing to debate on this one. Yeah. Just be careful, dudes. That's it. Well, thanks for giving me that one. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. I I have nothing to input or add. No, that's great. Let's move on. Deliveries. Okay. So (laughs) this is a longer one and I have to gather my thoughts Um, because I didn't write notes this time. So. Deliveries begins with Glennon giving this synopsis of 
being in her home and the doorbell rings and the emotions that come after that and uh like like denial this can't be happening why is somebody ringing my doorbell and then the panic of who's going to answer the door and um side note i felt that to my core because i cannot stand my doorbell being rung because like like i want to be in my house i'm not, I'm not always presentable but anyways back to the chapter hey wait side note just break your doorbell break my doorbell doesn't work i How never know if someone's at my house unless i want them there or get a sign lydia did you read my sign friday yeah i did i liked it that basically <laughs> says don't bother my dogs don't stop here yes don't we don't want the noise we don't no so anyway it's an evasion of privacy that's where i stand on it sorry to interrupt like no my one kid will be in his underwear i won't have a bra on like it's just i don't want to do it so just don't <laughs> but anyways um then she really goes into the emotions that she was that she finally allowed herself to experience when she became sober because um, drinking for her was, and bulimia, was a way for her to not acknowledge her real emotions. Um, she starts with anger and discusses being angry about her husband cheating on her and that she would be angry at him if he, you know, like tried to get intimate or maybe if she felt like he was acting as if nothing had happened in their marriage and everything was okay. But if she watched him with his, with the kids, she felt like she could experience some kind of love for him. And so she acknowledged that um, he didn't make her feel secure anymore because of what he had done and that she did not need to hold on to her anger. And the best way for her to let go of her anger was to just get a divorce. And that once she did that, she was able to view him as someone she could be friends with again. And then she says, well, because a part of this is we have to determine what our what our boundaries are. And I liked what she talked about boundaries. She says a boundary is the edge of one of our root beliefs about ourselves and the world. So it's important that we come to an understanding of what our boundaries are personally, and they might not be aligned with other people's boundaries, but like you just have to acknowledge that if that's the case. And for her, a boundary was marriage is supposed to be a secure place for her, and that was her marriage was not. So then she also discusses heartbreak, and she begins that little portion by saying, after a, a decade of listening to women, I'm convinced that our deepest fears are living without ever finding our purpose and dying without ever finding true belonging. And that struck a nerve with me because I was like, I can kind of relate to that. And this particular portion talks about letting whatever hurts us um, drive us towards what we're passionate about. So what, like Kayla, for you, animal abuse, animal cruelty, that is something that you can't see without like wanting to look away without wanting to cry or be angry so that's where your passion in life drives you oh my gosh I related so much with that part yeah yeah I thought of you right away <laughs> like, mm -hmm. so yes. you know yeah so do children being hungry you know make you want to cry that's a passion of yours you need to drive towards correcting it um and then in grief 
she's discussing um, watching her sister go through the breakdown of her marriage and how painful that was for her and um, the grief that was there but and couldn't do anything about it other than just like let her live through it and be there constantly. And then um, how grief changes you and you become a different person after you, after you allow yourself to actually experience grief and all of that and all of what that means. And, um, it, and I get that. I mean, I've never experienced, I've experienced people passing away, but like the hardest grief I've ever experienced that like had a real impact on me in all aspects was like an actual breakup as well. So I got that because I mean, coming out of that, I was not at all the same person. So I think that we have this natural tendency to like run away from the things that make us feel the really difficult emotions, which on one hand, I totally get and I totally understand. Um, so I want to take it back really quick to one of the parts that you brought up, Lydia, that really kind of struck that nerve with me and we did kind of talk about it. But here's what Glennon said. The magic of heartbreak is that each person's doorbell rings in response to something specific. What rings your bell? Is it racial injustice, bullying, animal cruelty, hunger, war, the environment, kids with cancer? What is it that affects you so deeply that whenever you encounter it, you feel the need to look away? Look there. Where is the pain in the world that you just cannot stand? Stand there. The thing that breaks your heart is the very thing you were born to help heal. Every world changer's work begins with a broken heart. And like that, I feel like that, like, obviously, Lydia, your thing is like people. Jesse, your thing is people. Megan, damn it, you love plants. And I think that's great. Not sure what to do with that. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Just plants. <laughs> Megan's going to be planting trees. I get it. I love that about you. We all need oxygen. I'm here for it. I mean, maybe we could call that environment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Environment. Exactly. How I miss that. I don't know. But um, I think we all have these things. And when you don't stand in it, when you try to avoid it, you don't find it. So like by being heartbroken, you learn so much about the things that you are passionate about. And I definitely learned that for myself last year when I brought Scarlett home. Um, Jesse saw her. I actually had Jesse stop by the very next day um, because I had left her alone in the house. I couldn't get her in a crate. I didn't know what to do with her. Uh, Jesse, vouch for me here. Girlfriend was terrified. Oh, yeah. She hid hardcore from me and I just tried to give her her space, but she was hiding behind the island and like peeking her head around like, why are you here? Oh, and yeah. Why are you, you going to hurt me? Oh, it's, it was awful. And so experiencing that first time, like firsthand and living with it and understanding that she literally thinks everything is going to hurt her, like changed my entire view of all of that stuff. And if I never would have sat in that emotion and like dealt with it every single day, I wouldn't have ever discovered how important it was to me. So I guess that's the main thing I got out of that chapter is instead of running from the things that bother you, run to it because that's where you figure out your purpose and your place. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's almost like if you don't, it just eats away at you because- yes you know, it's then you're feeling helpless. Whereas if you're putting effort into something you're passionate about, because you want it to be different then you're, I mean, people want to feel useful. Oh yeah. 
But also the part where she talks about people feel awful when they don't feel like they have people that you can connect with. But like when you team up with the people that are doing the same kind of life-changing work that you want to be doing, you find this really unique connection with other people. Yes. And I thought that was super important to remind people of as well, because there are so many like-minded people out there. You just got to like find your crowd. Right. Well, and I mean, I think our little group here is a really cool example because over the course of the last like year, year and a half, I've um, kind of become aware of people that I didn't, the, the, you know, like I knew existed, but didn't really know much about them. And so this is like a cool little example of that, that like-minded people who, I mean, we're not, we're not always going to agree on everything, but it's cool that we have found each other in this time and can do this together. Yeah. And I will say there's been um, a moment, well, not like a ton of moments, but where we've kind of talked things out mm-hmm. and it was, I mean, we can all be respect. We all have a common goal and I think we all remember that, but like, that's right. how you find your people, man. Well, speaking of people, Jesse. Yeah. Invaders is all me. Yes, I was just going to say. But but Invaders it, is it reminded me of you. Well, I live with And I texted invaders. you. I, <laughs> is, is Michael one of those? No, he's not an invader. But other than that, oh. I think everything else is pretty intrusive. So the, <laughs> so the next um, chapter is called Invaders. And... I actually felt like I could relate a lot with invaders because I have clinical depression and anxiety, but it reminded me of the story Jesse told a couple weeks ago where Sunny was asleep, her dog, and wouldn't wake up, and then she was like instantly sure that he was dead. So (laughs) this chapter talks a lot about depression and anxiety, and Glennon dealt with her depression and anxiety a lot through drinking. So I think once she became sober, like all of a sudden it became this big thing that she had to confront and she had to deal with. And she explains depression as it feels like sinking below. And then anxiety is a shaky hovering above. Um, So that's kind of how she explained it to herself. And she said, when one lives in a state of of constant vigilance, if something actually goes wrong, forget about it. Full panic, 15 to 102 seconds flat. Kids, two minutes late, everyone is dead. Sister doesn't text back within 30 seconds, definitely dead. Dog coughs, almost dead. Abby's plane delayed. Yep, all of this was too good to be true. Life will never let me be happy. All the death. So basically, she just talks about how her brain is so anxious that whenever anything doesn't go exactly the way it's supposed to, she assumes that everyone is dead. And I will say, I've had these moments uh, last weekend, Tony and Liam left to go get ice cream. And like 10 minutes after they left, I heard the fire truck sirens and the police sirens. And I'm like, literally had to resist the urge to text Tony because I just was like, oh, no. It had to be them. It wasn't. They were fine. But she did give five pro tips for those who live too high and too low. So number one, take your damn meds. And I will say, uh, I'm on medication. I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel weird about it. It helps me live life in a normal way. And that's what my brain needs. And I'm totally fine with that. Um, So she talks about how take your prescribed medication. Number two, keep taking your damn meds. So there will come a time where you start to feel better and your brain doesn't 
tailspin so much and you're like, I don't need this. And I did that one time. And uh, a couple weeks later, I looked down and I was missing most of my cuticles because I had picked them all away out of anxiety. So that was number two. Number three, take notes. So her whole point on that one is so you know what it feels like when you're low and you know what it feels like when you're not low. So an example of Glennon's low notes, it's all gray. I can't feel. I am all alone. No one knows me. I'm too tired to write anymore. But then she also has an example of her like normal, her up self. Um, G, you love your life mostly. You The smell of Tish's hair makes you melt. Sunsets blow your mind every time. You laugh 20 times a day. You see more magic than the average bear. You feel loved. You are loved. You have a beautiful life that you have fought hard for, G. So that way you just kind of can distinguish between the highs and your lows. Um, her next pro tip is to know your buttons. So she discusses easy buttons and reset buttons. So your easy buttons to hide things, booze, binge, shopping, snarking, comparing. Your reset buttons would be like drink a glass of water, take a walk, take a bath, practice yoga, like the things that make you um, feel better. And then lastly, this one was, I think they're all important, but this one I especially loved. Remember that we are the best people. She said, I am an artist and an activist. So pretty much all of my friends struggle with what our culture has defined as mental illness. These people are most alive, passionate, kind, fascinating, and intelligent humans on earth. They live different kinds of lives than they than the type we're trained to aspire to. So she said, don't forget, we need their science because they need our poetry. We don't need to be more pleasant, normal, convenient. We just need to be ourselves. We need to save ourselves because we need to save the world. And that's it. That's kind of like her five tips to get through anxiety and depression. And I loved every single one of them. Yep, they're real. I feel like I just talked for 10 minutes. So sorry about that. <laughs> No, like I, thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, overall, I loved that chapter. And I think that a lot of us can relate to our brains going crazy. I mean, even picking up Liam from school, if he wouldn't come around the corner, like the normal time I see him come around the corner. But if it was two minutes later, I'm like, oh my gosh, where is he? Did he get lost? Did he go another way? Did he go home with someone else? Uh, he never did that one time. He just was running late. So I understand that feeling. I have I have a few things I wanted to offer for this one because I did like it a lot. So sorry you can hear the crunching of the baby in the background. That's fine. Um, but the the part where she says her favorite song is Jesus loves me this size. <laughs> no, for he gave me Lexa Bro. I was like, what rhymes with sertraline? Because I need that for me. And so I came up with one. Uh it's make Maker loves me, it must be, for she gave me sertraline. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was like, yeah, keep taking your meds. And then also the part where she was like, take notes of your down self. So when you go to the therapist, you have you're like, I have never done that. And I was like, oh, wow, eye-opening, <laughs> like so smart. Because I feel like I go all the time and I'm like, I feel pretty good right now. I'm not really sure what to tell you. Oh, but yeah, the down times, that's when you got to take notes and turn it in. Here's my well, homework. Yeah. yeah. Well, it always seems like you have like so many days that are fine. And then you get into that, like, I don't need help. I don't need this. I don't need that. I'm totally fine. Nothing's wrong with me. Yeah. And then you get into that depression. Like for me, when I get into a depression rut, I don't want to socialize. I don't want to talk to anybody. 
I don't want to leave my house. Like there would be times I would be driving to work and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I want to go home so bad. And like, I literally, my tendency is just to shut myself off from everybody. But that honestly is like the most unhealthy thing that I can do when I go through something like that. So totes. Yeah. No signs. It was good. It was a good chapter. Very good chapter. I agree. Next, we've got comfort zones. Yeah. So comfort zones kind of starts out by talking about, well, it kind of goes two different directions because Glennon discusses that initially her comfort zone and and for most of her life has been kind of this suffering and self-denial and this is just where she's lived. And as soon as, and, and most of her books up until this point kind of highlighted that, Um, and she discusses the fact that as soon as she, you know, met Abby and, you know, became happier and more content with life, um, people started to find that in her reading or in her writing and would read that way. And she mentions, um, a event that she was speaking at where a woman came up to her and said, you know, I'm finding you really hard to relate to now with your new life. And so that, I guess, happiness is not relatable, um, I guess, to this particular reader. And then um, she gives another example um, where she was at one of Tish's soccer games and there was another, um, I think it was a girl that was playing on Tish's soccer team and Glennon was just instantly annoyed with her, didn't like anything about her and really couldn't put her finger on why other than she had just kind of some strong characteristics and Glennon was just like, oh, I don't, I don't like this. And she asked herself kind of why, what about this is so unnerving for, to me. And uh, she gets into that, you know, well, I think from society's perspective, they have taught us or society has taught us that females need to be, you know, meek and mild and and calm and kind. And this girl was not that. And so her instant reaction or her knee-jerk reaction was to be like, oh, well, who does this girl think she is? And um, I think that's something that most people can relate to, at least that I've seen as soon as, you know, someone's displaying, especially females, like happiness and confidence and strength and characteristics that we don't often associate with females. Um, people are like, oh, well, she's, you know, who is she? And she's full of herself. And so the chapter just kind of ends with discussing, like, we need to embrace that. And if we, you know, see a joyful, confident woman, woman, moving through the world with swagger, yes, our first reaction is probably still going to be who the hell does she think she is? But then our second reaction needs to be, you know what? She knows she's a goddamn cheetah and holly fucking Luya. And so that's how she ended comfort zones. Snaps to that. Yes. I agree. And I just, I identified with that a lot because, and I think we've all shared stories where, and it might not be female to female. It might be male to female, but some of that societal conditioning of how we should be as females. And I think we talked about it when, you know, people tell us to, oh, you should smile. You're prettier when you smile or, you know, have problems maybe taking direction or whatever, if it's a female versus if it's a male, Um, that's all just conditioning, societal conditioning. And and it'll never stop if we don't allow, we don't make it stop and and ask for it not to be okay and say, this is not okay. You wouldn't do this to a man. Does anyone feel like society's gotten any better at that? Because I feel like we've improved a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it's it's slow progress. Right. In, so, and in some places. Right. And even if it's maybe not improved, it's being called out. 
and pointed out maybe so that leaves the room for it to improve then yeah i agree yeah i would definitely say that i feel more comfortable like saying something about Mm -hmm. it than i used to but i don't know if that just means that like i used to give a fuck and now the fucks are gone or if we're changing but maybe that's all it takes is everybody just giving less fucks did you run out of fuck bucks megan Fuck bucks are gone. Oh, you spent them all. Yeah, I I saved them up. I used them all. They're gone. Good for you. What a what a weekend you must have had. <laughs> I just the last one went out with that phone call. Fuck buck gone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys yep. saw my faces when I was on that phone call, but I'll tell you later. <laughs> Maybe we all just need to spend all of our fuck bucks and call it a day. Maybe the world would get a lot different. Be a lot different. I know one thing I've noticed more recently, at least like professionally, there was a part in this chapter where Glennon talks about how we downplay as women, we downplay our strengths. We avoid threatening other people. Um, And we don't mention our accomplishments. Uh, We temper everything and discount our opinions. And I know even last school year, I would be in meetings and I would, you know, downplay my strengths or I would make sure not to say anything that I felt was maybe I, I thought it to be uh, maybe overstepping, but honestly, it was probably just a good idea. I just didn't want to share it because I thought it should come from somebody else's mouth. And I remember being in a meeting and someone complimented me on something work related. And I just like gave an excuse as to why. And they were like, no, just say thank you. Like, you don't have to make it seem like it wasn't a big deal or it wasn't hard work. Like, just say thank you. And I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> you and know then- what, though? If we all called each other out on stuff like that, because I was texting Megan a couple weeks ago. I don't, I don't remember. I had something to tell you. And she texted me back and said, I'm sorry I was doing this, this, and this. And I'm like, don't be so- Please don't say you're sorry. Like, it's kind of just one of those, like, automatic response, like, But I'm like, hey, no, you don't even need to say you're sorry. Like, why are we doing that? We don't need to do that. And I think if we, like, helped not even, like, call each other out, sounds kind of aggressive. And I obviously didn't mean it aggressively. But, like, reminding each other that, like, you're – nobody deserves a 24-hour access to you. I read that somewhere the other day. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, like, you can be away from your phone. Like, it is okay for you to be busy and for you not to respond to someone until you are able to respond. And But we have this natural, like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry that I didn't get back to you sooner. Why? But, like, reminding each other of some of that stuff, I think that's – I don't know. I think that kind of stuff can help change the mindset. Yeah, I appreciated that. That was nice of you to say. I liked it. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Well, I felt it in the heart, so I texted it back. I was like, don't you. Don't you spend a fuck buck on that. (laughs) (laughs) This this isn't worth it. No. So moral of the story, spend your fuck bucks. Spend Spend your fuck bucks. Elmer's. It's me. me. Okay. So Elmer's. So this one is about Glennon's, I would say Glennon, letting letting Tish go a little bit because it seemed like she was holding very tight. So um, after uh, their divorce, Glennon noticed that Tish was kind of spiraling um, and she thought that Tish should go back to a therapist. But Abby said, no, I think she needs to get out of her head. I think she needs to, sorry, I'm moving things. I think she needs to do something different. 
I think she should try out for this elite soccer team. And so I think we've talked before about, or maybe it was in, oh yeah, it's in this one, how Tish has had some experience with soccer. Um, And Abby thought that Tish probably had a bit of a passion for soccer um, because based on like when they watched it and stuff. Um, But also Abby thought that she seemed like a natural leader. So Abby was very confident that this would be a good move and then got Craig in on it and they teamed up against Glennon and (laughs) decided to help her achieve this, you know, maybe a goal that wasn't her own, but she felt like she would do it. So Tish was going to go for it. Um, And so you follow along on this like journey of the four weeks prior to um, the tryouts and um, you just see all the ups and downs essentially of doing any sport. So Tish really fucking hates running and says so in not so many words. Um, and then Abby finds a way to relate to her and like keeps Glennon from hovering, essentially being helicopter mom um, and letting just letting Tish out of it when really like um, this was a good thing for her. So then she does the tryouts um, and makes it and they were like, hey, you did it. And so this whole thing, like Glennon was able to get, first of all, give up her time on the weekends because that was a thing that she didn't want to give up. But also she was able to give up like Tish her guarding of Tish and thinking that Tish was this tiny little person when really Tish had this great, um, she has this natural leading ability, just like Abby thought. And, um, she's able to like really help people, um, well, her teammates like come out of their head about things. (laughs) We're just going to have baby noises in the background. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, Tish comes out being a natural leader and somebody who really builds morale, And she finds that, like, what was important for her was being a teammate, like, finding out that there are athletes and there are teammates. And Tish really is a good teammate and athlete, but good teammate. And so the name of this (laughs) chapter was Elmer's. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's okay. So the name of the chapter is Elmer's. And at the end, Tish tells this story that her her coach started calling her Elmer's because whenever she gets the ball, the ball just seems to stick to her. And I was like, oh, when I listened to it the first time, I thought, oh, I thought this was going to go a different way. I thought it was going to be like that. She keeps the team glued together because like then it even ends the same way where she's like keeping the family glued together. And <laughs> um, so I, I guess I assumed that the really it was meant that like she keeps everybody kind of glued together. But maybe also the ball sticks to her. But I also think that I like she really is the glue of the team and the glue of the family. Okay, so I'm going to mute me now. So that I uh, all the noises. That one's probably a little bit of A, a little bit of B. But shoot, I Liam's not done sports up until this point, mainly because he's not wanted to. And I'm not going to I my goal is to let Liam just be Liam. You like if you want to do it, I will do the things. And if you don't want to do it, then we're not going to argue and cry and fight every Saturday morning. Like we're just that's we're not going to do that. Um, this year, though, he does want to try soccer. So I was reading this and I, too, was like, Liam, do you understand how much running is in soccer? <laughs> like, do you even know? Because I exercise and run some every day. And I would not want to do soccer. So God bless your motivation. Same, Like same. I would not want to. I run. 
I would not want to run for soccer. No, that's like fast paced running. That's like running after a ball running. (laughs) Yes. You're pursuing something. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) You can't just stop when you get tired. What kind of sport is this? Seriously. I also can't imagine playing a game where it, it can end in a tie. So not only did end in a tie. Yes. What? Yes. Perfect. Like Michael watches soccer, which I I enjoy watching when it's exciting, but sometimes I watch it for 90 minutes and no one wins. What was the reason? Seriously. What was the the reason? Why did I And then what? Do they play again? (laughs) No. No. It's just that's it. Yeah, that's no. There's only certain games that if it's a tie, they go to like penalty kicks. So, oh my I gosh. Think, and I, and Michael, I mean, I think sometimes he's like, yeah, it's you because you're American. And I'm like, yeah, yeah we have sports where everyone wins. No, it's not very un American. Somebody wins in every game. There is a winner. That's why it didn't catch on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> have you what guys, is the point? Have you guys seen that meme that usually comes out around football that's like, I just hope both teams have fun? Like, that's, yes. that's me with sports. <laughs> like, I don't understand most things. I don't, I, football's not my jam. Like, can we all just have a good time? Can we have a couple drinks after the game and like, let's all hug? When, when someone in our, um, our wine, our wine group was making a joke about, I don't know, some, there's some football player, what? then they're like, maybe they'll name a wine after this football player. And, Anne Ann was in the group <laughs> and Anne's like, I don't understand this reference. And somebody was like, before Anne could even say, I don't understand this reference. They were like, Anne's not going to get this reference. Oh and gosh. then Anne said, I, she says, I don't understand this reference. And then she goes, just kidding. That's my favorite sports ball player. <laughs> sports ball. <laughs> love it. Like that's the best way to stay away from sports. But like, I love that sports ball team. Sports go sports. Exactly. So, Lucky's. Yes, there you go. Lucky's is short and very sweet. And Lucky's is just a story of um, when Glennon and Abby were um, very new. They just talked a lot and kind of talked about their hopes and dreams. And Abby had written to her when they were living on opposite coasts um, and told her that she has this vision of them. Um, on the on a dock of a house that they own, they both have cups of coffee. Abby's leaned against the piling, and Glennon is leaning against her chest, and they're just watching the sun, and it's just a peaceful, beautiful moment. So then, a year later, they are living on a ha- at a house on the Gulf Coast, and um, they've had uh, dinner, and Glennon looks out the window and sees Abby on a dock just like they had already talked about. So Glennon takes out two cups of, or two mugs of tea and they sit just like Abby had talked about and how it was just a beautiful moment. And then Glennon took a picture of them. She put it on social media and someone commented, oh, you're so lucky to have each other in this life. And she responded, but I really liked the end of it. She said, we did not fall into this world we have now. We made it. I'll tell you this, the braver I am, the luckier I get. I think that's such a cool little ending. And it's so gave, true. It so gave precious. me the goosebumps. The goosebumps. But it's so true, though. I mean, like, mm-hmm. the lives we have that we love, it's because we made it so yeah. with whatever choices we are we're making or the path we're on. I mean, that's – nobody falls into that. It's true. Yeah. We can I mean, make it great or make it awful. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're in charge. 
of your yeah. happiness. You know, I don't think I got that uh, as much when I read it. So that's another reason I love doing this because you kind of pick up different like viewpoints than when you read it yourself. And so I think I like that chapter even more now than I did before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I haven't talked about my husband for a couple episodes. So Oh, it's time. Get in there. Get in there. Get it out. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> but that's something like we did all the time was like, our, our hopes and dreams and where do we want to be in X amount of years and blah, blah, blah. And we've been together long enough now that we are reaching some of these goals. And it's super cool that we can like look back and say like, oh, do you remember when we were talking about this? And now here we are. And it's cool when you know that you've made this life for yourself. Oh, yeah. I agree. That is super cool. Yeah. I pictured you and Keenan having one of those moments from the old sitcoms where you like high five each other and then the screen freezes and you guys are like, in a jump high five. I don't know if there's a way that you could make that photo happen, but if there is, I would love it. Um, he would be totally on board and I bet I could get my little brother to take the picture. So. Yes. Uh, I still need to meet your dog. So I It'll am also so willing good. to take it. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But her brother takes really good pictures. He does. And he would Sorry, get like Kayla. the right lighting. And- oh, then the insert him uh, back in. I'm out. I'm out of this. <laughs> Can I just be there out. though? Yeah, totally. Fly on the wall. I'll stay outside and look in the window if you want, but I just want to be around. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. So moving on to buzzes. So in this chapter, I wonder if it's going to make noise if I touch it. That's what she said. Okay. <laughs> I hope it doesn't make noise when you touch it. Sorry. I'm just doing some minor adjusting. Also what she said, yeah. Okay, so in this chapter, Buzzes, Glennon is talking about how she has never liked romantic movies. In fact, she said she hates them. She said, like the yearning that Abby, who is agnostic, feels when she watches a church choir with their robes and deep voices and shiny eyes. So she goes in and talks about how Abby's favorite movies are Romeo and Juliet and The Notebook and... Um, Glennon will say to her, I cannot believe we found each other. And Abby will say, I can. I knew you were out there the whole time. Oh, Abby and Glennon. So one night they're watching TV. They're sitting on the couch, said their arms are wrapped around each other. And they're talking about eloping. And Abby said, we got to be smart. Our brains are lit up like Christmas trees right now. So then Glennon pulls back and she got all confused. And uh, basically... What Abby was trying to say is that you've never fallen in love, so you've never been in this part before. I have. It changes. I want the change. I want the next part. I've never had that before. The first part isn't the realist part. So she's talking about essentially that like crazy, fun, what what words am I trying to look for? Can someone help me here? Anyone? I'm trying to think. We're all going to stand mute. That's fine. It's fine. I've got this. Let me just try to do this by myself. Can you give me some more context clues? Shit. I have a poem. I have a poem that Glennon wrote. I feel like uh, this chapter is so difficult for me. Should I read the poem? Okay. What what words were you like? Can can you just. Are you talking about what it's like when you're in that in love stage at first? Yes. You like can't get enough of each other and like in, in lust like you're enamored. And... Yeah, keep going, guys. Euphoric. How long can we how long can we keep this going? Oh, Ira's even contributing. Yeah, that's it, right, Ira. He knows what he's talking about. 
So basically, Glennon ends up writing this poem, and it has to do with a lot of colors, white and blue, and then they mix their colors together, and then they don't. And sometimes they're apart, and sometimes they're together. Oh my God, Kayla! <laughs> Jesus no, Christ! Do you guys do you guys remember the when we first started, and there was that other poem? Yes. Yes. And I thought the word. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What was that met word? Saging a room. Saging a room. And yeah. it didn't. <laughs> That's where I'm okay. at with this. So, okay. So let me just help you out a little here. So God essentially. Bless. Thank you. Essentially, because I like to say that word, she's saying that she wants, she, when she comes together in that, like, that moment where you just click with your person. She likes that color because she feels like she's this dark midnight person. And I don't remember what color she thinks Abby is, but whatever. Pearl they're white. I got okay, this. pearl white. Pearl so white. thank you. So their combination makes a lovely sky blue, and she loves being that one being with Abby. Okay, so then like you you get past the part where it's all new and it, it's like shiny and the relationship isn't new and shiny anymore. And you know, everybody goes their separate ways and does their separate things, and they go off and be themselves. And Glennon did not like that. And because she'd never experienced this like true love, but like you have to separate. Uh, so now at the end, like she understands that you have your moments where you come together and you get to be this one person again, but then you get to separate and you get to be your own person. So like, I feel like this is just like the natural way of things. Yeah. Okay. Glennon gets to be midnight blue forever. Yes. But sometimes she gets to be Sometimes One. she gets to be sky blue. Daddy, Sometimes yeah. she gets some pearl. Like just in your, like, I mean, everybody has that, right? In their relationship. Like at that some point, like you're usually your separate self. I feel like this is me. I'm usually my separate self. But then there's like this moment where you just like, you're laughing about something or whatever. And, or you just click over something and you're like, oh yeah, you, there you are. I don't know. Right. You get that? I don't yeah. know. I have the worst, I have the worst no. time <laughs> relating says, to no. stuff. Like, no, I don't. Because <laughs> I... That is our relationship is so weird. People would probably, if you could peek inside of our relationship, be like, what is happening in that house? We, I mean, we've been together for 11 years. I had to look at the year. Um, yeah, but like I am super independent. Like I am that person. And so like we have separate cupboards because we buy separate groceries. We have separate bank accounts. We like wake up in the morning and high five. Hey, you still here? Great. We'll make it eleven and a half years. God bless. I don't know. Oh, I just like stop. I'm midnight. I'm midnight all the time. I'm not, not. I'm not sky blue. I'm just. I am who I am, and I have a cupboard on the left and my own shelf in the fridge, and I'm doing just fine. So your roommates? I'm just kidding. Everyone's relationship <laughs> is different. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's relationship, and there's nothing wrong with yours. Um, I think the point that I think everyone is should be independent and we should never oh, try yeah. to be sky blue all the time because that's not sustainable. No. That's like one person just being really dependent on the other. I think it's better if you can be have your moments where you're your separate self and then come together and you can be your collective self. Well, the place the sentence that I really liked is that she said, I want to be found in love, not lost in it. Yeah. And I will say that Tony and I dated for a year and some change. 
And then he and I ended up breaking up. And so at the time I was living with him, like I had sold my washer dryer, just like my general home stuff. And one day he was like, Hey, this is not for me. I don't want to get married. You do want to get married. I don't think I want to have kids. You do want to have kids. I don't think this is going to work. And that was on a Thursday and I was in my own apartment by Saturday. And yeah, I just, okay, well, we're going to truck along. And that's what I did. And I think that by having to do it, like earlier when we were talking about sitting in that heartbreak, like I had no other option. I had to pack it up and I had to move it along and I did it. And now I know I can do it. And there's like no going back from that. Not in our relationship. Like, obviously I still love him. I never did stop loving him. But once you have that independence, you don't really forget that you have it. Right. And you're not going to let someone take it away. No. So that's probably where I'm at. I mean, honestly, but yeah. When I start or when Keenan and I started dating, I had these friends that I had made after my relationship previously had ended and it was like solid female friendships and like nobody was going to mess with them because the guy I had dated convinced me that I didn't have any friends and the friends I thought I had really weren't my friends and like blah, blah, blah. So I had made these two women were like my people. And when I met Keenan, it was probably a bit aggressive, but I was like, these are my friends and you're not ruining it. And he was like, okay, I don't want to. Like his reaction was like, yeah, cool. I got friends too, you know? Because like it didn't occur to him that you would manipulate someone into being alone. But um, they, but like the person I was, like when I came out of my grief of that breakup was also independent and I had my own apartment and I was loving it. And I just, I wasn't really in a place to let a man get in, like interfere with it. But obviously he was different than others. So it ended up working out. But yeah, like it's, and I also didn't want to, or I didn't want to join bank account, but we have one because I finally agreed to it. <laughs> we've, we've gone in and out and then in again, but not like on purpose. It was mostly like, um, we needed a farm account. So where Rob's money went was into the farm account. And then my money just went into the ally account because it had a sick, uh, percentage rate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's never been like, keep my money separate. Cause I don't care about that. Yeah. Now well, it's like, now we're back together again. So, right. Oh, yes. It's like a bank account love story. Yeah. <sighs> All of my choices going into my, my like relationship, which is now my marriage, were solely based on like w- the shittiness I experienced. And like, I'm never going to let someone else do that again. So, like, my money was jacked around with previously, and I wasn't going to let somebody do that again. But I think some of that stuff too is probably like a, slight trauma response. I was just going to say trauma response. Yeah. Like a a way for us to protect ourselves. So you don't have to deal with some of that stuff again, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I'll just be over here being midnight blue. If anyone needs me, I should find my own color. Thank you. I think I'm, I'm that color often. It's like for at two 30 this afternoon, I was sky blue. (laughs) Wink. (laughs) Snaps to that. All right, should we uh, finish this up with sandcastles? Sandcastles. So this is a short uh, little chapter where Glennon 
condemns the fact that uh, women have a habit of describing themselves in relationship to the people and kind of the roles that they serve. And at the very, very beginning, I have to read it because it I was like, oh my gosh, we've done this forever. So it says, ask a woman who she is and she'll tell you who she loves, who she serves, and what she does. So things such as being a mother, a wife, a sister, a friend, a career woman. And we define ourselves by those roles and those people that we serve. And she compares it to building a sandcastle and living in a sandcastle and the fact that no matter what you do, that sandcastle is going to be taken away by this by the tide at some point. And, and so will s- some of these roles. Um, what if, you know, you describe yourself as a career woman and the, the company tanks or, you know, you describe yourself as a mother and your kids, you know, go away to college. Not that you're still not a mother, but that role and that co- daily interaction and, and role of being a mother, you know, looks different. And so she challenges, I guess, the reader in this chapter um, to not only answer the question of who do you love, but... But what um, makes you alive? What is beautiful to you? And what what do you do to take time to fill yourself up? Um, who is your soul beneath all of these roles? And so the only, to her, and, and I agree with this, the only way to really find your own true personal identity that isn't connected to a role that you fulfill or play is to start asking and answering those questions of yourself. Yeah. Shit, well done. Absolutely. That Thanks. was well done. I always love when you summarize a uh, chapter, Jesse. Oh, I always get the points. Thanks. But then it always like sometimes I feel like I don't do that. I'm no, no, I'm not gonna say that. Take I compliment. do a great job and thank you. Um <laughs> would also like to add, I sure as shit wish you could have gotten the poem chapter too, because <laughs> that one just wasn't for me. <laughs> um and I also can't... this this one made me kind of think back to like why is every job interview like tell me who you are and then like it made me think of how many times like I only filled that question with roles and people I serve and that wasn't really who I am I mean it is who I am it's a part of me but it's not the the strongest thing you know and I think we as females sometimes feel the people we serve are the big the strongest thing um, so if it's that being a mother, being a career woman, being a wife or all three, mm-hmm. I've only got one of those to worry about. I feel like, so then how <laughs> do you, how do you, ex- how do you explain who you are then? I mean, I guess they are parts of you, but there's more to it. And so, but you're also, I guess in this chapter too, she really kind of tries to drive home the fact that that's kind of why we live in this she says it also is what makes us untethered and afraid because those things are co- could constantly or could be you know taken away or change and so i think i've heard a ton of stories when i mean people get excited i shouldn't say that um like they're excited to be empty nesters but then they find it to also be very hard like I, no one needs me anymore and so i lost myself and i know share bear good old share bear my mom really struggles because that role of being a mother is one of the things she holds tightest and and finds her identity in. And so like, she's still, I love it. And I probably shouldn't, but she treats me like I'm a kid still. And I'm like, she can't get out of it. She can't let that go. Like I'm not, she'll, she'll still call me baby girl, Rue baby, come sit by me. She wants like, if she could rock me to sleep still, like she would. (gasps) 
Okay, like, she just precious. That's I'm just precious. It is precious, but like it makes me sad for her that right. that's the only like not the only role, but I, she's just still so connected to it. And she can you know, be like fulfilling herself with so many other things that she loves. I feel like I went through the reverse of that when I had Liam because I was completely wrapped up in my career and then I had this person and then I didn't feel like I was the, well, obviously I was still the career person because I still work full time, but like who I was in my identity shift, it felt like it shifted. And so then it's like, well, if I'm not a hundred percent invested in my career, then I have like a like an employment crisis because I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to go back to that. Like that's mm -hmm. who I thought I was. And now mm -hmm. I have this baby and that's not actually who I am. And now I don't know what to do because bitch has still got to make money. Hey, and I feel like, okay, you're getting to a point though, Kayla, that I think a lot of millennials hit because you think that you think your work defines you, but isn't your work also, also your passion? Like you sought out what it was you wanted to do, which was personal training. Yeah. And yeah, you're I right. Like this is a millennial thing. So it's okay if you def I feel like it's okay if you define yourself by your profession because a lot of millennials are seeking out a profession that they are passionate about. And so that's okay. Like, I mean, I'm, I am passionate about plants and sometimes I get to work with them and like, that's okay. So like sort of, I define myself by my job. I'm a creative person. I like to create. That's part of my job too. But it's because yeah. I was able to find something that I'm passionate about. So I think it's like it's okay. And I think it's okay if you don't want to be a mom, like that to be your full-time role either, but also be a mom. Like, I think that's okay. It's okay not to define yourself by those things. I don't think it's a problem. Or really, like, do we have to define ourselves at all? No, you don't have to be in a box. Like, my name is Kayla and I like pizza and I'm really bad at reading poems. Like, hey, that's who I am. <laughs> Like, this is what I bring to the table. I think you could read the poem very well. I am good at reading. It's deciphering. I'm not good at interpreting poetry either. It's like too next level for me. All I can do is snap when other people snap. That's yes. not true. Well, I think it kind of goes to the, the very end part of this. I dropped my mic, so that probably sounded awful. It goes to the very, the very end of the chapter. talks about kind of everything where... where you know, you're not the, you're the builder of the castle. You're not just living inside it. And so you, you know, she talks about being, you're the builder, the rebuilder, you're playful, you're light, you're never changing and you're always changing. And so it's just be knowing that, you know, you can, the sand castle can be taken away by the tide, but it can be rebuilt because you're the builder. You don't live inside it. Yeah. So I love that a lot. You're not going to lose yourself if you lose one of those roles or people that you serve, or it's just you have to be able to build another castle. Which we all can do. Yeah. That does it for us. That is another week in the books. Not literally. Next week is our very last week of this series of books that make us better, where we focus on Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Next book up is Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection. If you want a chance to win a free copy of your own, head on over to our Facebook page, Books That Make Us Better. We'll talk to you next week.